I know that several, perhaps even most of you, have had the experience of trying to learn a foreign language. It's easier for some, but it's hard for lots of us to learn another language. I got to think back, I've actually tried to learn three. Back in high school, I, I took French for two years. I don't remember a word of that. Uh, then when I was making several trips to Russia, I tried to learn Russian. Never got very good at that either. I, I still remember one expression that I learned. I used it pretty often. Yaniznayu, yanipanimayu, yanagavaruparuski, which means, I don't know, I don't understand, I don't speak Russian. <laughs> I, I used that pretty often. And then when, we, when Larry Payton and I were going to Cuba, I tried to learn some Spanish, but I don't remember much of that either. Learning languages is tough. For lots of people. For some people it's easier, but for most of us it's tough. One of the big challenges of learning another language is to learn the verbs and to learn the tenses of the verbs, how to conjugate the verbs. When we talk about verb conjugation, we're talking about how to construct the verb to mean either it happened in the past or it's happening presently or it's going to happen in the future. Verb conjugation, that's pretty tough when you're trying to learn another language. Tenses are important. Well, today we want to talk about verb tenses, but we want to talk about them in relationship to the most important subject in the world, and that is salvation. We want to talk about verb tenses that are connected with the idea of our spiritual salvation, a very important subject. We hope that we'll be able to say some things that will be helpful. Thanks for being here this morning. What a beautiful Lord's Day, a beautiful day in January in Middle Tennessee. We have a little reprieve, apparently temporary reprieve from the real cold weather, and so enjoy that today. We're glad that you're making this time of worship a part of your Lord's Day. We're grateful for the presence of everyone. For those who are visiting, thanks for coming. Please come again and ask us any questions you have about what we're doing here at College View. Let's talk about the tenses of salvation. Again, tenses suggest past present, future, sort of varying from the time perspective that we're looking at relative to salvation. For instance, there is a sense that the Bible uses about salvation in which it talks about it as a future thing that might happen, a future potential salvation. For instance, if I were to say to you, if it rains tomorrow, I will be coming to your house. What do you understand that to mean? Well, it's very understanding, understandable. It hasn't happened yet, but it might. It's possible, but it's based upon a condition. If it rains tomorrow, I'll be coming to your house. You understand that. We all understand that. In, reg- in regards to salvation, the notion is that is used that way as well. For instance, in the text that Jacob read for us earlier from the famous Great Commission, In Mark chapter 16, verse 16, Jesus said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Now what this is doing is it's describing a sinner who has never been saved from his sins. But he learns, he believes, uh, based upon penitent faith, he is baptized for the remission of sins. What is the result? If he meets the conditions that are attached, what is the result? He shall be saved. It's future tense. It's talking about a possibility. It's talking about what could happen contingent upon specific obedience to what is instructed in the Word of God. I really think that's clear enough, don't you? He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. It hadn't happened yet, 
But it's a possibility it can happen if conditions are met. Although that statement is so clear to us and we understand it as a future potential salvation, unfortunately it's denied by a lot of people in the religious world. For instance, there are those who teach universalism. And the universalist teaches that everybody will be saved, that no one will be lost. But that's not what that passage says, is it? If the universalist were, if the universalist position was true, then this statement wouldn't even make any sense. You wouldn't say it could happen in the future based upon conditions. You would just say everybody is saved or everybody will be saved. The universalist position is denied by Mark 16, 16. I'll tell you another position that's denied by this clear statement of Scripture is the Calvinistic view of foreordination, predestination. As we've explained many times before, the Calvinist says, you, you, and you will be saved, and all the rest of you will be lost. That God chose way back, even before the world began, He chose the ones who would be saved, and He specifically disallows salvation for anybody else. If you're not in that number, the the foreordained ones, the ones who've been predestined to salvation, if you're not in that number, then you're lost and there's nothing you can do to be saved. Well, this statement by Jesus certainly denies that, doesn't it? It suggests that based upon meeting conditions of faith and baptism, you can be saved. So Calvinism is denied here. I'll tell you what else is denied is the very popular religious notion of salvation by faith only. That all you have to do is believe in order to be saved. Now, what does that passage say? He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Who's going to enjoy that future potential salvation? Not just he that believeth, but he that believeth and is baptized. This corresponds so well with a number of other statements in the New Testament that prove that we're not saved by faith only. And of course, James chapter 2, verse 24 says, you see then how that by works a man is justified, and not by faith only. And so definitely, uh, the idea of salvation by faith only is a false religious doctrine. It doesn't harmonize with what the Scripture teaches. You can be saved. Salvation is a potential for us all. But it's going to happen if you meet the conditions attached to it. And we would simply ask this morning, what is your situation? Uh, Have you availed yourself of the salvation that's available potentially for you? It's possible you can be saved, but if you've never obeyed that simple gospel plan of salvation, hear, believe, repent, confess, if you've never been baptized for the remission of sins, then you haven't gotten there yet. It's, It's a potential. It could happen. It's available, but until you meet those conditions, you are not saved. What is your situation this morning? So there's one way, one tense of salvation that we find in the Scripture. Let me suggest to you another. Uh, uh, past tense. We understand past tense, right? I could say, for instance, I went duck hunting yesterday with Monty and Josh and Damon, and we got no ducks. I'm telling you what, it was miserably cold yesterday morning. The wind was blowing like crazy. The wind chill was unbearable. And as we're sitting still trying to wait for some ducks to come to us, it started sleeting. I mean, it was awful. And in the midst of that, Josh assures me, this is perfect weather for duck hunting. This is just like you like it for the duck. Which 
only reaffirmed in my mind that there must be some mental deficiency in duck hunters. You know? <laughs> if you think that's perfect, there's something wrong. Well, but you understand the expression, I went duck hunting. That means it happened in the past. It's, it's a finished thing. It's something that is done. It's already accomplished. It's looking back, right, in, in past tense. Well, the Scriptures use that notion relative to salvation as well. Notice in Titus 3, verse 5, Paul writing to Titus says, He saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. This looks back on salvation uh, as something that has been received. Salvation. He saved us, Paul says, past tense. When did He save us? Well, from the first point we were making, He saved us when we obeyed the gospel plan of salvation. We submitted uh, to the washing of regeneration, which is a reference to baptism. So He saved us by the washing of regeneration, baptism, and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. What is this renewing of the Holy Ghost? Well, I think that links our baptism to being instructed by the Word of God, the inspired Word of God, inspired by the Holy Spirit. We're instructed in regards to obedience and the necessity of baptism. Uh, it, it is not just the idea of dunking someone underwater. It is when we submit to that washing and regeneration based upon our understanding of what the Spirit has revealed that we ought to do, the conditions of salvation. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 26, it refers to the washing of water by the Word. I think that's the same thing. It's the same thing as the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. The washing of water, baptism, by the Word. The Word of God is what tells us that we should be baptized in order to obtain salvation. In the book of Romans, in chapter 6, at verse 17, Paul said, Romans 6, verse 17, God, be thanked that you were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Obedience must come from the heart. And so, I think that's what's being linked here in this statement by Paul, Titus 3, verse 5. He saved us, past tense, by the washing of regeneration or the washing of water or baptism and the renewing of the Holy Ghost through the instruction that the inspired Word of God gives us. And so, we can rejoice in knowing that at the point of baptism, when, we're when we are willing to submit to that instruction to be baptized, all of our past sins are forgiven. And, by the way, they are forgiven forever. In Hebrews chapter 8, verse 12, concerning the promised new covenant that we now live under, God said, I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. Once we have been forgiven of sins, when we enter into the waters of baptism with a right heart, instructed by the, the Word of God, when we've truly obeyed that gospel plan of salvation, we are saved from our past sins. Those, those sins will never be called up again. We, if we've truly obeyed the gospel, those past sins are forgiven. And so in that sense, Paul could use the past tense. He saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. Now, that's not the end of the story. Some people would like to stop right there, but contrary to the belief of many, salvation is not a done deal that can never be forfeited. The salvation process goes on. 
we, we are continuing in the matter of seeking our salvation. Uh, we know that there are a lot of people who teach the idea of once saved, always saved. That's another one of those false elements of Calvinism that we sometimes talk about. The, the Calvinists talk about the security of the believer or the impossibility of apostasy. It's just simply better known as once saved, always saved. But that's not the case. Uh, salva- the salvation process does not end uh, with our conversion to Christ. We have to continue to be faithful. Notice, in, uh, in, in this regard, we're talking about the present tense present salvation. And here's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning verse 1. He said, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, by which also ye are saved. Are saved. That's present tense, isn't it? And so salvation is ongoing. What if you came, what if one of you men, you came in from work one night and your wife announced, I am cooking supper. I am cooking supper. What does that mean? Well, that means it's, it, it's, it's not ready yet. It's not done. It's an ongoing process. She has started, but she's not finished. It's an ongoing process. I am cooking supper. We understand that. We understand that use of language. It's not difficult at all. Well, that's the kind of usage that we find here when Paul says, by which ye are saved. In the Greek, literally, that is in the Greek language, as in the English, that's present tense. And it could literally be translated, by which also ye are being saved. It's an ongoing process. Uh, and, and that's the way it is with salvation. It's a continuous process as we faithfully live the Christian life. We've got to keep on being faithful in order to ensure our salvation. Uh, as we said, it is not once saved, always saved. Look in Second Peter chapter 1. In Second Peter chapter 1, at verse 10, Peter says, Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, ye shall never fall. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Notice, we have to give diligence to make this happen. It's not an automatic thing. If it were so that once you are saved, you're saved, and you couldn't lose your salvation if you wanted to, if that were true, then again, what Peter says here wouldn't make any sense. We wouldn't have to provide any diligence. We wouldn't have to work at it. It would happen irregardless. Uh, But it's not so. Our salvation is an ongoing process. All right, so what have we got? There's the future potential sense. Salvation is spoken of in that way. It, it's possible. It's a potential. It could happen. If you'll obey the conditions of salvation, you shall be saved. Hadn't happened yet. And it's up to you. Will you make it happen by obeying the commands of Scripture? So there's the future potential sense of salvation. There's the past salvation. For those of us who have already obeyed the gospel of Christ, we have been saved In other words, those past sins are forgiven, never to be called up to our record again. We have been saved by the washing regeneration, the renewing of the Holy Ghost. There's the ongoing sense of salvation. But even when we've been baptized, we have to continue to be faithful. Revelation chapter 2, verse 10 says, Be thou faithful unto death, and I'll give thee a crown of life. And we have to do that. Uh, 
we're in that process. We are being saved. It's continuous, ongoing process. But there's one more sense that we want to comment about, and it's what we might call the future final salvation. Now, this is different than our first point. Our first point, we were describing salvation as a, a possibility, a potential, for those who haven't yet obeyed the gospel. It's available to you, but you've got to respond. It's a potential, a future potential. Here we're talking about a future final salvation. We're talking about uh, after the final judgment, how will it be? In 2 Timothy chapter 4, at verse 18, Paul said, The Lord will deliver me from every work and will save me into his, unto his heavenly kingdom. Here's the Apostle Paul. Now, think about him for a, man, for a minute. The Apostle Paul certainly had responded in initial obedience, so he had achieved the first tense of salvation that we talked about. He had been saved from his past sins, and he had a lot of them. You know, he, he talked about how grieved he was and how he had persecuted Christians, locked them up in jail, caused them to be put to death. But he'd been forgiven of that. He was saved from that. He, he had those sins forgiven. He was continuing to live faithfully. He's the one who said, ye are being saved. We are continuing the process. Here he writes about how it will be in eternity. The Lord will deliver me from every evil work and will save me unto His heavenly kingdom. Paul looked forward to a future final salvation, which would be his. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting that this ultimate goal of heaven will not be obtained until that end. And we don't have it yet. It is what we are striving for. Look in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 9. In 1 Peter 1, at verse 9, Peter says, Receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. Now, he was writing to Christians. He said, Receiving the end of your faith. So I think some versions there use the word goal. Receiving the goal of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. Well, had, did they not have salvation in any sense yet? Well, yeah, they had salvation in, in, in some senses. They had received it. Uh, their past sins had been forgiven. Uh, they were continuing faithfully, but they had not received the final goal of their salvation, which is to be in heaven. Notice again what Paul himself said about this in Second Timothy chapter 4. We're familiar with these words, beginning verse 6. For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight, I have finished my course, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the, right, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me uh, at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. Notice Paul expected to receive that crown of righteousness. The Lord shall give it to me. He didn't have that yet, but he anticipated that final, uh, future final salvation. Think about that. Here, those words we just read from the Apostle Paul are some of his last words by inspiration. We, th we think that, that that we have labeled 2 Timothy is the last epistle that he wrote, and this is right near the end of it. And so at the very end of his life, he was talking about his anticipation of receiving that crown of righteousness. What a great thing. To approach death with that hope and that consolation. If we don't have that hope, if right at this moment you don't have that hope that you would be in heaven eternally, if life were to end today or very soon, if you don't have that hope, 
If you miss that, I want to just suggest to you, if you miss that, you've missed everything there is. Everything that you hold important in life pales in consideration to the importance of having that future final salvation in Christ Jesus. You got a good job, you saved up some money, you got a nice house, you're driving a new car. What are the things that are important to you? I want to tell you that none of those things matter. Not any in comparison to the salvation of your eternal soul. If you don't have that hope that Paul described there, the Lord will save me. I know that it's coming. I've done what he expected. I have the confidence of salvation in Jesus Christ. If you don't have that confidence this morning, we we urge you, don't let that situation continue. Why would you continue to put the most valuable thing you have at risk and not have that hope of of, of a reward in heaven? So our lesson this morning has talked about uh, the tense, verb tenses associated with the most important subject in all the world, and that is the subject of salvation. Uh, these are not difficult things to understand when we're talking about them in the language that we perceive, right? We're so, we're so grateful that we have the Bible in the English language. We can understand it. These concepts that we've described this morning are not difficult. Words mean things, and in English we can comprehend. Thankfully we have good, reliable translations in English of God's Word telling us about the salvation of our souls. The simple question now is, are we doing the things that are necessary on our part to make it happen? What about you? Are you right with God this morning? Have you obeyed that gospel plan of salvation? If not, we would urge you to make that decision without delay. Don't postpone that. If you understand what you need to do, Hear the truth. Believe it. Repent of your sins. Confess your faith in Jesus. Be baptized for the remission of sins. If you understand that, don't put that off. There's no reason. There's really no reason. Nothing is more important for you right now than to obey those instructions. We're ready to assist you. Let us know. If you're a Christian already, but you fail to remain faithful to the Lord, then you've put yourself back in jeopardy, as we described this morning. And You need to come out of that situation. Repent of your sins. Confess your wrong. Pray for forgiveness. That's the blessing that we as Christians have, that we have the opportunity to to come back again if we fall in sin, to come back to the Lord again, seeking His forgiveness, and He will extend it to us. If you're subject to the Lord's invitation in any way, let us know while we stand and sing this song.